Hello, Rachel. Hi, Ryan. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, Rachel. I'm doing really well. I'm doing yum yum, dare I say. Wow. Wow. Yeah. No, no half yums today. Full well, yum yums today. Not a yum, not a half yum, not a yum and a half, not yum yum and another yum, but just well, yum yum. No half yums are ever allowed. No half yums are allowed, Rachel. Rachel, why are we talking about yum yum so so vehemently? What what is that? What's that about? Well, it was because Commander Nan is in this episode of what Star Trek character. Discovery that we are exploring today, mm. and she was the person who gave us the heart wrenching line of yum yum. <sighs> yeah. In Star Trek Discovery in season two, and now we are up to our rewatch yeah. of season three. So, for everyone out there, if you have not watched any of Star Trek Discovery, spoilers! This is our rewatch. We're getting through all the details of it. But Rachel, I feel like we've got so much yum yum that we need to spread it around, share the yum yum. We have a guest with us, Rachel. We had to bring someone in from overseas to embrace the yum yum, to swallow it down, to to rub it all over their skin, to really get the yum yum in. We've got a friend of the show and dear listener of the show, Pat. Hello, Pat. Hello. How's it going? It is well. You, I think you just heard we're, it's all going pretty yum yum. How <laughs> it's about going yourself? Pretty yum yum. Apparently, yeah. Yeah, we, the, in Canada, the yum yum is the maple syrup that you pour on. Yeah. Well, they do film Star Trek Discovery in Canada, so this is true. I have considered stalking them to become an extra just so I can get killed off. You sh- no, no. You'll not only become an extra; you'll become one of the main bridge crew who's there for <laughs> seasons on end, but never gets any kind of characterization, lines of dialogue, or anything until one day they decide let's flip you over the bridge and give you a PTSD storyline that comes out of fucking nowhere. You can just stand <laughs> next to Bryce or Tilly. I'll. I'll t- I'll take PTSD as long as no one ships me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, no, no. They'll ship you no matter what. They'll ship you with Owo, everyone's favorite <laughs> other character. <laughs> yes. So, Pat, we have you on. I thought you're a great friend of ours and you're always commenting on things and sharing our stuff. And I thought, and, and I know you're a lover of Star Trek. Can you tell us all... What's your relationship with Star Trek? What's one of your favorite out of the Star Trek series? And what's your general relationship and history with Star Trek Discovery as a show? Um, Star Trek, for myself, has always has been a lifelong thing. Um, I've always watched Star Trek. I was, you know, getting into science fiction when Next Generation was starting. So that was like uh, a thing that my family would look forward to. Um, mm. In particular... Uh, Star Trek um, has been a bit of a moral compass, you know, mm. uh, when Star Trek was about thinking, you know, thinking things through and taking your time, real philosophical questions. That was when I was really into it. It's um, very good of you to use past tense. Yeah, past tense. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I might be slipping on that. Um, and then uh, when it comes to what's my favorite, and I know you find it controversial, I do like Enterprise quite a bit. Mm. Uh, outside of some good episodes like really good episodes of next generation i think i like enterprise tonally not necessarily quality but tonally uh, the most and then there's discovery 
which doesn't have enough decontamination scenes. <laughs> yeah. Well, sometimes I feel like a Michael Burnham uh, voluntarily dying painfully in a tube when I watch this show. Yeah. Um, but but there is it is Star Trek. I have to admit it. It's new Trek, but it is Star Trek. It's just it's it's doing its uh, its own thing. Uh, mm. I would never take it away from people who like this show. Yeah. But. It's a, it's, it's a different experience than what I grew up with. I'll say that. I'm told I've offended these people twice. Once for eating in front of them. The second time, I don't even know what for. But if their carelessness has hurt Porthos, or God forbid, ends up killing him, they're going to find out what being offended is all about. Uh, so with Star Trek Discovery, though... What's your what's what's been your relationship with it overall? So you you find it a hard pill to swallow, but are you you an avid watcher anyway because it's still Star Trek? What's 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 the dynamic? I I was I was ready to give it a try. I watched the first season, um, and then after that, I kind of would catch it here and there, watch some YouTube clips, watch some analysis of people who I I, I who like this show uh, unabashedly. And I will, I will consume it. It's Star Trek. I want more Star Trek. But uh, yeah, I mostly continuously watch season one. And then I took a break. I said, you know, it didn't work for me. I'll, I'll back off. But then something pulled me back in and I decided to watch some episodes of season three to really uh, kick it into gear, I guess. <laughs> and with season three... It's in a way designed where you can come back to it because it's in the future. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's uh, maybe where Discovery should have been in the first place, you know, with a new show with such advanced technology and and style. I think, you know, maybe it should have taken place in the 32nd century. But, but you know. then you couldn't have Sarek wanting to p- commit planetary genocide. So I think that was more worth it in the long run, huh? We needed to see Spock's journey and why he decided to shave his beard. So... We're going to be talking about season three, episode two, Far From Home. And just, just to further co- converse about the, the fact that you can jump into this season straight off the bat in a lot of ways. There will be some little bits that you go, oh, maybe a recap will help me. But I find it funny when I watch this episode thinking, remember the Klingon War? <laughs> what, a, <laughs> ah, what a funny thing that was, huh? What a weird odd little footnote in the, in the thing that was, huh? Uh, so we are going to be talking about Far From Home. Pat, could you do us the gracious favor of letting us know what the plot of this episode is according to IMDb? So IMDb says that after the USS Discovery crash lands on a strange planet, the crew finds themselves racing against time to repair their ship. Meanwhile, Saru and Tilly embark on a perilous first contact mission in hopes of finding Burnham. Wow pretty emotional pretty they didn't mention ice but i'm no, a little disappointed no parasitic ice no parasitic ice that you know like a parasite it infests uh pat is this your first time watching this episode or did you watch it when initially aired this is my first this was my first time watching it uh i went into it again reading the memory alpha entry so i had the the idea but uh, first time visually watching it consuming it Getting in bathing your veins. In it. Yeah, bathing in it. <laughs> Letting the ice go down your throat. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, you know what? It's funny that I see moments like that where I'm like, you know, that's just the thing. They say parasitic ice and you move on from that. Um, yeah. I was hoping it was going to be like, it's a crystalline entity. This is how they're born. But, you know, that would have been a nice reference. But it trains you, though, Discovery, to think about it, it like that. Like, oh, what's this going to be a reference of? Or what's this mystery going to be? Rachel... When what's your relationship with this episode? When did you watch it, and how did you feel about it the first time? We watched it for the first time when it was originally airing. I think maybe just a couple of weeks after it had first aired in the yeah. US, because we waited to have a few banked up. Yeah, we watched it back to back with the first one, and similar to the first couple of episodes of season two, it gave us hope that Discovery. Mm. might be course correcting in a way that we appreciated. Yeah. Um, and I think we both enjoyed it and we still both enjoyed rewatching it actually. Yeah, I when I watched this episode, I, I I was a little bit in dread because I hated that first episode of the third season. I thought it was boring. I thought the future looks terrible. Like, not visually, but just like, oh, is this what we're going to be living in? Oh, and fuck. And the style are we just... was overwhelming. And unoriginal. That was my thing. Of, oh, my God. Are we just in another sci-fi show? Like, and not like science fiction, like a sci-fi channel show. Is this Killjoys? Like, I, Damn it, you stole my notes. <laughs> and I love Killjoys, but I don't go to Killjoys for <laughs> Star Trek. I do like Killjoys. Because it's its own thing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And then this second episode came and I was like, oh my God, are we going to have another one? And then I was pleasantly surprised. I felt like this episode had a lot of Star Trek um, roots to it. There were problems that were clear and easy to define. Our characters had missions that they had to go on. They were paired up with one another and they had to succeed at their goal under a time pressure. And there was an antagonist who had a clear set of goals that he wanted to do and he was there to stop our heroes. And it made sense to me. There was still some Star Trek Discovery-isms, but this is the first Star Trek Discovery episode that made me think of Enterprise. This felt like a season two episode of Enterprise, where it reminded me of Marauders, it reminded me of a few of those, but with the Star Trek Discovery style on top of it. When previously, Star Trek Discovery went, how about this TOS how about we do like a, a, a TOSC type of episode, but with our style? This is the first one, and there's a few in this season, and I, and I really feel like it echoes back to, to Enterprise, weirdly enough. This kind of has that vibe. What do you think about that, Pat, being a big fan of Enterprise and this being your first time viewing? Uh, I'm just checking my screen to make sure that you don't actually have all my my notes on this episode because you keep stealing them. Um, <laughs> yes, uh, I absolutely did feel like this felt like a Star Trek thing. You know, you had the time crunch in that, and it yes, and it, I the Enterprise uh, on the nose. That's a really good descriptor to that. It did feel a bit like I don't know. I was trying to think of who Saru would be, but I definitely was like Tilly, maybe more like if you had like Hoshi come along on a mission. You know, you needed her to talk about the. Uh, Mm. Uh, talk with these people for some reason but it had that kind of energy of like they're always like you know they're they're going to be behind on technology finally and Mm. they're always going to be like a fish out of water and that's definitely enterprise energy so i did like uh i do like that point that you made 
they were going into the unknown for the first time, it feels like, in Discovery, where it actually feels like they're going into the unknown and they don't know what they're going to go up against, and they have to try and use their Starfleet ideals in a world that doesn't have any. When in Enterprise, there was no Federation yet. That's the whole point, they're building up to it. In this, the Federation is dead, and they're trying to build it up again, so it also has that thrust that Enterprise had, where in Enterprise, we, the audience, knew that they were trying to build up the Federation, but the characters didn't necessarily know that. They were just trying to be faster with their ships and shit like that. Well, in this, the whole goal of the season is we are actually trying to build the Federation back to what we knew it to be and make it greater in the world that doesn't want it, which is an interesting idea. Rachel? I think one of the big reasons that I ended up liking this episode and still really enjoying it was that it feels genuinely like science fiction. Yeah, like, and Star Trek science fiction, in which the B-plot, which is the parasitic ice, is just this, it's a thing that they have to deal with. Like, we don't have to think about it too hard, but it's just a thing. It's an obstacle, and it's very specifically science fiction, because Mm. we have trouble swallowing sometimes what Star Trek Discovery offers up, a science fiction plot because they end up feeling more like fan- fantasy, fantasy. Yeah. rather than being grounded in science that we know and feeling like this is a potential area of growth that, that eventually our world could have something like this. Yeah. But the parasitic ice feels like something that could very easily exist on a planet in the galaxy or universe somewhere. You're running out of time to get the discovery off the ground. The ice, it's parasitic. It'll crush the hull. Eventually everyone inside. So Pat, first time viewing this, first time coming into season three from, so you've skipped ahead. So what was your overall kind of feeling with season three? Because you also watched the first episode, so you can give us a little mini breakdown of what you thought there. But what do you, what's your general feeling on, on, on season three and this episode? I really didn't like that first episode of season three. Uh, <laughs> I can reflect a lot what you guys were saying. Uh, some weirdness where they don't know the difference between Starfleet and the Federation. I hope you guys touched on that. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> that drew me up the wall, but amongst other things, bland uh, fashion sense uh, in the future, I guess. But this episode, yeah, it felt like Star Trek. Uh, it kind of made me bounce back. I might consider, you know, watching more episodes. I might do like a look online to see what's a skip order to watch. You know, <laughs> these are the good episodes to watch. You can skip these ones. Maybe. Yeah. 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 But uh, yeah, that first episode, I was like, oh, what have I, what have I done? What have I, what have I done to myself? And then I, I watched this and I actually like, yeah, I actually felt like I was having a good time. Like the whole like Western tavern thing. I thought that was a really cool um, discovery level discovery style of doing like the TOS style of like, you know, they only have Western buildings with just the front of the building, you know, like you can see yeah. behind it and there's nothing there. Well, they did that, but it's like you walk through a teleporter or a swinging door. Like I thought that was kind of fun. Um you know, it, it had a had a space adventure theme to it, and I yeah, it was good times actually. Yeah. 
I do like how you were like, oh, I felt like I was having a good time. Like, I don't know. <laughs> well, that's because Star Trek Discovery has like this. The trauma. It's a trauma, right? Where it's like, I yeah. hope it doesn't abuse me again. Like, yeah. I, I, I think this is okay, but I don't trust where it's going to go. Is it going to hurt me later? <laughs> again, I have read what happens in the season. And it's like, you can read a bullet point list of of what happens and you could be like okay that's uh, that's fine like i mean uh I'll, I'll speak in vague terms like it's like the end of game of thrones mm, if mm. you gave me a list of what happened at the end of game of thrones i wasn't necessarily against that but like the show itself did such a bad job of conveying it to me that you're like oh that hurt a reading is no substitution for experience is the old yes exactly market, yeah. and i mean especially as such an emotionally driven show like discovery like and spectacle you can just read wikipedia articles all day and that's fine but you know that you're safe <laughs> there so rachel on the rewatch what did you like about this episode what were some things that really came to the forefront for you i didn't hate the style in this episode Mm. it has a lot of the markers of star trek discovery yeah but in this episode the the pairing of the style the script and the direction Mm. felt like most of those decisions had a very clear purpose Mm. like the strobe lighting that starts the episode is there for a specific reason and it goes away when it's not needed anymore, when things are Mm. starting to calm down. And there were a few other instances where, like, they were doing something flashy, but it made sense, particularly in that kind of first act when we are meeting uh, up with our characters as they are entering this new situation because it was the same with Stamets being brought out of the coma yeah. with the layering of the audio and the, slow the, down. the visuals and mm. all of those techniques were visually telling the story and then when the dialogue began telling the story, the visuals slowed down yeah, so I- that you could pay attention and touch base with those characters and their experiences which made it feel more grounded rather than going full into just being overwhelmed Mm-mm. by it i 100 percent agree although i have very much gone against the star trek discovery aesthetic it works here in this episode because it's consistent with itself. I can understand, okay, I understand the slow-mo here. I understand the quickening here. I understand the draining the sound out here. I understand this shot far more than I do with previous installments of the show. It made a lot of sense to me. So there was lots of moments where it was a calm before the storm, like with, with what you said about Stamets and the strobe lighting, where it's quiet, slow, ambient, and then everything rushes in to let you know how serious the situation is and that everything is nuts to butts. But without being CGI bombardment in my face, like with the first episode where Michael just crashes into Book's ship and I don't understand what the fuck's happening. Although there's a lot of noise happening... I understand it because the way the technical stuff constructed it, it was leading me in, like I said, a calm before the storm, and then the storm hits me, and I was ready for it. While in previous episodes, we've talked about why are they using slow-mo in this fight sequence randomly? It doesn't make any sense. In this episode, 
it actually made sense to me where on the Discovery ship, when the ice is coming in, the camera moves quick, the editing's quick, the dialogue is quick, there's quickening up while it cuts back to the the bar where the threat is far more um, placid and far more of a, a, you know, it's just a guy who's just like, he, I'm going to hurt you. He is you. a threat that's lying in wait. Yeah, he, he's not something that's coming after them immediately. He's, he's the encroaching threat of the arch nemesis of the season. He's just a tendril of the green, uh, the emerald chain. That so that forms a very direct thematic link with the ice yeah the ice is an immediate threat that it's building up slowly and they have a very limited amount of time to deal with that situation and yeah. specific limited resources uh, yeah and when say the slow-mo when Giorgio starts fighting it made sense to me because of the bar setting the the threat level was far more like i said it's far more timid and Giorgio's in her element finally. Like, I don't like her character, but for the whole episode, she's been wanting to do stuff and wasn't allowed to do it. So when she gets to finally do it, they slow the they slow it down and see that she's, like, happy and embracing getting to fight. And then it quickens hey, up when hey. things go out of control, as she it often does. She clearly wanted to fuck Linus. We don't know if she got to do that. <sighs> we can only hope that she got to fuck the big-eyed alien from the Orville. I mean, from Discovery. Um... Pat, what do you think about the the technicals of 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 this episode, and how does it line up with your recollections of where the the technical aspects of Discovery have been laying before? Um, you know what? Like, I guess you guys did touch on it a little bit, but again, even just one episode ago, I remember having the issues with like just Burnham and uh, Book talking on a beach is like edit 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 and it's just jumping around and i'm like oh my god this is what i remember <laughs> and then i get to this episode and i'm like i i can follow what's happening here like there's a couple weird uh quick cuts and yeah like that's that's it's not the worst part it's only when you have like 18 quick cuts back to back while the camera spins around a <laughs> meeting table yeah. you don't need that but yeah, like stylistically and stuff like that. And then, yeah, like the, it was super clear what was happening in the bar fight scene. Mm. And even whenever like Stamets is crawling through the tubes like that, it was, you know, trying to get us emotionally charged, but it was clear what was happening. Um, it, you know, <laughs> take the tarot was in the scene and, and, <laughs> and that was the thing that happened. You know, it's not a technical thing. I was just being like, there's take Natero being, Tignataro in the Tignataro scene. Damn I know you love the sound of my voice. You realize this is my nightmare. I live to serve. I enjoyed some of the visual storytelling going on. There was a really great shot that really hammered in home. <laughs> Far from home. Hammered home that Saru is now in charge, which is when they're in the ready room. And there's this quick little shot panning that's far away. And you see right up front of the camera... Um, Pike's desk that he brought in from the Enterprise is completely shattered and broken on the ground, kind of saying, Pike's not here anymore, all right? He's gone. He's, 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 it's not happening, all right? Saru's in charge. He's We've behind his own desk. Our ties. Yeah. And I thought that was a nice little visual way of showing that instead of Saru standing there going, oh, well, now Pike's here, not here. Am I the captain? What do I do? He, he didn't, didn't have that. It was just a visual thing showing it. And that was a nice touch that Star Trek Discovery lacks sometimes. It really reminded me of season one, where season one had some little visual storytelling things that were just sprinkled in there, and then season two just kind of stopped doing it. It was nice to see it come back again. And 
for us, Rachel, on the rewatch, there was some nice little foreshadowing things here that... I, I, I can't believe I have to praise it, but it's nice that they have them there because... It's better than nothing. And they were subtle enough that on the first time viewing, they weren't things that I was thinking about. Like, oh, that's foreshadowing this. They obviously are those in this episode, but they're little things like Giorgio refusing medical help, which will play into her season-long arc throughout throughout this journey, right? Where she's refusing to seek medical attention for whatever the fuck's going on with her, with having traveled through time and dimensions and stuff. And that was a nice little touch. I also like that they were setting up in this episode the dynamic of um, Giorgio is someone who thinks that she's only a killer, and that's all she's worth. And that is great for her little journey for this season where she's going to try and change. Whether that's successful or not isn't the point I'm making. The point is, they're actually planting seeds here that I didn't realize were being planted, unlike in previous seasons where it was so obvious, or they were never planted there at all, and you just turned around and now you're in a cornfield. You're like, what the fuck? (laughs) Or they do that thing where they kind of gaslight you and be like, we brought this up before. (laughs) We talked about this off screen. It wasn't our fault that we didn't show you it. Yeah, and and it was nice to see those little little touches that they were bringing up to let us know that when you rewatch the show, it doesn't feel like none of this didn't like none like it all came out of nowhere. Like I felt with season two, where it's like, well, why are the signals important from the very beginning? Oh, because you just have to accept it. This I'm rewatching it, and I'm noticing. Oh, they're setting up that Saru is relying on Tilly's help a lot from the very beginning, which will be helpful when later in the season he promotes her to first officer temporarily. People got upset with that. I did too. But when I rewatch it, it's not as if it came out of completely nowhere. No, he sets up a preference for Tilly and a trust. Yeah. It might be an illogical choice on his part, but it has got clear precedence to get to that. Yeah. And then, and yeah, and again, unlike in some other episodes and seasons, it does come from something other than like, like the fact that him and Tilly have conversations in this episode. I was like, oh my god, I forgot that characters can have just conversations because usually the conversations are, "Who are you? What are your intentions? What's going on? Give me exposition." And I love you. That's a usually. Wait, are you talking about? Are you talking about when Burnham and Book met each other? They fought and then they were best friends? Yeah, they're best bros. It's a conversation that doesn't rely on having exclamation marks at the end of every sentence, which I also very much appreciated. What I didn't appreciate on (laughs) uh, the rewatch of this episode, because it does count as, like, like, they very clearly set this up then it very clearly goes nowhere, mm. is Detmer's experience with PTSD. <sighs> well, really? That doesn't go anywhere. Well, okay, Pat. It goes somewhere, but not not really. I've got to ask you, Pat. Now, you had read some of this stuff, but be honest, when, when you watch this episode, could you tell me if you would have thought straight off the bat, oh, this is going to be a PTSD storyline with how it's presented in this episode? No, I thought it, it reminded me again of like the the battle of the binary star, like the first mm. episode, mm. where that random helmsman is like, "Go to sick bay," and then he gets lost and then yeah. he gets spaced. And yeah. I, I was like, "Is that what is happening here?" I guess. 
Like she hit her head, right? And then Yeah, and then she's upset for the rest of the season. Yeah. She flew over the console and she has PTSD until she has like one conversation with a person. No, so what happens is she has PTSD and how it's represented in this episode and a few more episodes and this was happening in real time. I've seen this happen in real time. People were going, is she infected by control? Oh, no. Yeah, that's is, what I had seen. Is, yeah. is this a mystery? No. Why on earth? And this is how Discovery sets the audience up a lot. Either expect a reference or expect this to be a mystery, long, a season-long mystery. Why can't this just be presented as an obvious PTSD storyline from the beginning? Because even when I'm re-watching it, knowing it's supposed to be PTSD, it still comes across like oh, something's wrong with her. Has someone taken over her? Is she... Or is there something wrong with her implants? Yeah, and it doesn't feel like, oh, she's got PTSD. And when you say it goes nowhere, Rachel, what you mean is how this episode played it, they just keep playing it like that again and again and again. There's no real escalation. It fizzles out. There's no, oh, she accidentally started an intergalactic war because she was drunk on her ass. No, there's just... She just keeps like grimacing and not answering people and then has final- an argument with Stamets. and then finally it culminates with i'm upset because no one respects me cuz i drive the ship real good and then i go oh okay on the rewatch maybe this will make sense on the rewatch it makes no sense cuz literally when she's having her first bout of ptsd in the episode Everyone's standing up and congratulating her, thanking her, wanting to hug her. (laughs) And it's like, oh, so does your PTSD not come from what you said it comes from? Okay, maybe that's her delusions. But then here's how they solve her PTSD. Because obviously they have to solve it like it's a narrative issue, not just something that a character can have. Is she flies a ship real fast and feels confident in herself again. And it's like, oh, so it was just that you felt like no one appreciated you being a pilot. Yet in yeah, this episode, she had to show off by looking sideways while flying forward. Yeah, so, and we'll in this episode, they are literally congratulating her and thanking her for saving them all with her pilot skills. Like, so but what the fuck's can't the problem? Hear them. We we are told that through she, the audio mixing, she can see she it. She can't hear them. <laughs> she can see it through like I, I would. Them. Yeah, I would. I would sigh that. Yeah, she, she could. She might not be able to hear it, like because she's concussed, but she can tell. Like she knows what's happening. That people are applauding. Yeah, her. and everybody so. is supporting and giving her hugs and making sure that she's okay. Yeah, it's it's a weird thing that this episode just keeps... It's my least favourite part of this episode because all it serves is this is setting up something. While the rest of this episode is people actively solving a situation right here and now. While hers in the episode is, we're setting this up. We're setting this up. And it feels like, okay, can... Can we not? We've got other things. I'd rather spend time in the bar. I'd rather spend time seeing the parasitic ice actually actually cause problems on the ship instead of just seeing Paul in some tubes with some smoke. You know? Yeah. 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 It's interesting because like, I mean, I do find Discovery is a show that everybody is like ready to cry or, or scream ecstatically. And I know that's not how PTSD works, but I was like, if maybe she had cried or showed more that it would have been clear that it was PTSD. I didn't. Ex- I didn't anticipate it to be like a PTSD thing. I thought it was just like you, you hit your head. And that was it. Yeah. No, it's, it's PTSD. more than a concussion. 
it would make more sense to me, and they somewhat do this, but they don't, which is, it would make more sense to me if her crashing the ship on the planet cost the life of someone that she cared about. But in the end, it costs the life of some alien that we've never really encountered before yeah, or know anything like, oh, of. Oh, okay. And she's like, they didn't make it? And they're like, yeah, she, they didn't make it. And then, and then she's acting like it. But she was already acting in her, and this is me as an actor, this is what she's doing. I'm acting like I have PTSD now. It's like so obvious that, oh, how do I act like I got PTSD? I just look off vacantly and look forlorn. She was already physically acting like that before she found out that she cost someone their life. So the idea of even her finding out that she cost someone her life, thus triggering um, some PTSD, doesn't even fulfill itself because she was already... For us, the audience, she was already suffering PTSD before she found out that tragic piece of information. Pat, what do you think about how Star Trek Discovery, and you've read things online and you've encountered it, how people want characters like Detmer and Owo and Rice and Bryce and Reese and all these people to have characters and have time on screen and to actually be a part of the show. What do you think about that idea? I sometimes feel like Discovery has aspirations like The Simpsons where they have like the largest side character poster available and i'm not against that i just i don't i do feel like and especially with what i you know limited viewing of season two and some of this is people are filling in gaps they're like creating these backstories for people and it's it's odd to me i i don't know it feels like i have to do too much work and that's odd that's like a very complaining thing to say but it's uh uh, I think everyone just wants to grab a character and grab onto it, and that's fun, but you know, why not the main cast? I don't know. <laughs> that's what I was going to say is, in Star Trek's of yesteryear and ensemble shows, does I've never seen people champion and rally behind, please give these characters that have never had any lines of dialogue and aren't actually characters character. I usually see people want... I want more of Tilly, and I want more of Giorgio, and I want more of these, but from day one, people like, Detma, she's been there from the beginning, and I still don't know her. It's like, there were so many Helms people on the Enterprise that were always there, and I never gave a... Sh- I, I never thought at any point, man, I really wish that they could give, give that person more. You know? It's like, I never cared about, like, in, in Next Gen, there's, like, that one woman. Who, you wanted more episodes about Keiko, right? Yeah, we all want more of Keiko. But, like, I've discussed this in a previous episode. Mars O'Brien, he was always a character that was there, and they never gave a shit about him until, like, season four or whatever, where they're like, hey, how about we give you a whole episode, and we give you a full-fledged character, and you have, like, a Cardassian war backstory. And that made him a character. But even then... If we didn't get that episode and Mars O'Brien never went on to DS9, I would not be standing here 20, 30 years later crying, oh, we never got to know more about that transporter chief. Because I cared about the central crew of characters more. And yet, here we are, three seasons in, Detmer's been there the whole time, and they're now like, now let's give her a PTSD backstory from a woman who literally got disfigured in the Klingon war due to Michael's actions at the Battle of the Binary Stars, a woman who has seen her best friend choke to death in the vacuum of space, oh, people don't respect that she doesn't fly the ship well enough. Well, that gives her PTSD. I thought the other things would have, but I guess 
the lack of respect for her piloting skills really triggers it off. And the show doesn't play it like those things have compounded it. No. And, like, this is the thing that's tipped her over the edge and she's become overwhelmed and she's realising that she needs to deal and unpack all of the trauma that we've seen her experience in the previous two seasons. It really is just this one thing. She flew over the console and hit her head and now she has PTSD. And it's like, is this... Is this a respectful narrative way of presenting PTSD? Um, Yeah, I I sat down with Michelle um, before we started shooting the season and we had brunch and she brought up the fact that we were we were going to explore this this season and that Detmer was going to be struggling a bit more than usual and sort of have a a weight and a guilt um, that she's carrying around for, I think, a combination of the Battle of the Binary Stars and you know, uh, a rocky landing into the future. This episode has an antagonist, Rachel, and we have not enjoyed a single antagonist in Star Trek Discovery. Oh, you mean not Tim Roth? Yeah, the guy who looks like Tim Roth but isn't. Um, We haven't enjoyed a single one. Like, Lorca was the closest one, but we, we rallied against the thing of he was dumb at the end, thus he was boring. We l- both agree, Rachel, right, that this guy, this guy's pretty good. This guy's uh, got yeah, presence. Yeah, he's fun. What, what, yeah, I was scared. What about him worked for you, Rachel? I think the performance was just hammy enough. Mm. It, it rode the line of being, like, kind of ridiculous. Mm. But also that went with, like, the energy that the script was giving as well like Mm -hmm. the type of presence that he has as a villain i felt like see i didn't think he was hamming it up i felt like he he under he underplayed it in a way that was well enough i never got the feeling that the actor was thinking i'm playing the bad guy i'm gonna leer at tilly like this and represent that men are gross i just felt that he was gross because he just played it like yeah I want this. Give it to me. He felt just like a guy. And that's like the best kind of villain that Star Trek Discovery can give me is he doesn't feel like, oh, I'm Takuvmov and I have this bloodline lust of revenge against the humans. Or he doesn't feel like I'm Leland and I'm now infected by an AI from the future and I must destroy humanity. This guy's just, hey, give me my dilithium or I shoot you. And the fact that three seasons in, a villain of this level is the most compelling we've had in the show, kind of says a lot. It kind of says that we don't always need a villain to be the guy who has the doomsday machine. We don't always need a villain who's like, I want to start a war. Sometimes an antagonist is just a guy who wants to stop our characters from achieving what they want. And this is in the most basic way. They want to leave the bar. He's not going to let them. They want to get off the planet. He's not going to let them. Simple. Simple, simple. And like you said, Rachel, this guy, he's just, I think he's charming. Like, he's gross, but like the performance is charismatic and I couldn't take my eyes off of him. Like, every choice he made felt so natural and it felt like, oh, so this is what the future is like. Like, his performance gave me a greater understanding of what the future should, what the future of this universe is like than that whole first episode with Michael and Book ever did. Hands down. Um, what do you think of him, Pat? Yeah, I really dug him. Uh, like, yeah, he's got this like subdued, 
controlling way of like the, he controls everybody he encounters. I think like mm. that's I mean, I mean maybe I'm building them up a bit, but he's like the he he's living in a world where like this is how you survive. You know, mm. you have to be a businessman. They said that he cut the head off of the last courier and took his job, and he's just, you know he doesn't lose any sleep at night. He's like you know this is how I make a living, and I'm I'm gonna make a living by taking things from other people and. It, yeah, he was he was kind of scary. Like I didn't know what he was capable of until you know he shot that mm. guy who all he did was like fix their communication. Yeah, and like that was that was brutal. That was like okay, I'm taking him seriously now, right? Mm. So I thought it was a really good uh, I don't, don't want to say villain, but a really good foil because he was just like a real person. Like I can imagine someone just being like that. What do you? What are some aspects of a Star Trek antagonist you enjoy? And does this guy meet any of those? Yeah, I think again, it's the the calculate uh, the someone who's uh, calculating everything, mm. uh, who's like very clearly like in control of his actions. Mm. I don't like someone who's just like screaming and throwing themselves against the wall to try to get at our main characters. Like this is a guy who's like like he, the best written villains are the ones who, if you could see things from their point of view, like you know what they want and. Mm. They, they know how they want to attain it. And I think that's what it works. So like, even like, if you look at uh, like the, the Abrams movies, like the new track, it's mm. like you have some villains who like clearly know what they want. Uh, you have, uh, uh, I mean, I can't remember the names of them now, but um, you got Nero, Bana, like Nero. Thank you. Yes. Uh, Eric Bana. I got like, he had a revenge plot and he's driven by that. He's not, He's not a crazy person necessarily. Yeah. He's just motivated by a dark thing. Mm. And that can make really good uh, villains. And I think it worked for me. So, yeah, I think that's what I found. He reminded me, this guy reminded me of uh, Krug from Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock, in which quiet, oh. menacing guy who knows that they're evil and doesn't give a shit. Like that thing. And, and they'll just, you know what? Yeah, sure, I'll come down and fight you. I don't give a shit. You know, and I like that level of villain in Star Trek 2 where I don't need every villain to be gull to cut where they don't know that they're a villain and they think they're a hero of their own story. I do like a villain that's just, look, motherfucker, I'm going to shoot you, okay? And I'm going to enjoy it. But not too much because I don't care about you. I just want dilithium. And I, I just, yeah, he reminded me of, of Christopher Lloyd's Krug where he's just like, he's got his little band of people he somewhat cares about them, but really he cares about himself. He doesn't need to talk all the time, which there was a line of dialogue from Giorgio that I felt like they only put in there to give her a zinger, and it didn't feel right, where he said some phrase, and she did a lampshading thing where she's like, just because you use fancy words from a thesaurus doesn't mean that you're a smart bad guy. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, okay. I didn't feel like that's what that char- like his character was until she said that, and then it made me think, is that what his character's been the whole time? And on the rewatch, no, he just is a guy who's just like, look, this is what I want, give it to me. Are you new? I should offer my congratulations. The thing is, you got no authority here. Whereas the burn was the best thing that ever happened to me. Saru, he's the guy... Who shoots things out of his head, right? He does that more than in this episode, right? That, because, like, it was a big deal. That no, he, he only shoots through. him in this episode. What? Yeah. 
Um, I thought I was forgetting another one, surely. Like, they went to the effort to create that effect because it is very much a CG effect. Discovery doesn't like doing practical things. No. Uh, so, Rachel, Saru... But they, they made it. Why not use it again? Is it not? You is it never going to come up again, you mm, think? It, it won't come up again. Rachel... Maybe it takes some time to grow back. They ta- like, they're like teeth. It takes a little while for them to yeah. come back in. Um, he just shot his baby teeth at someone. <laughs> Take my baby yeah. teeth. See, I thought yeah. it would be more like a shark's teeth situation where he's got like rows built up back there. No, no, he doesn't. They've actually pointed out that they're just like normal teeth that grow into his he head. He shoots them at people. He shoots them at people and he goes, and that's the two. <laughs> and like, mic drop. Yeah. Assimilate this. So yeah, yes, yeah, it's up there. <laughs> yeah, wait for the, 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 the Star Trek Discovery movie. We'll have that. Yum, yum. Uh, Rachel, we're huge fans of Saru, and we've said on previous episodes, before Season 3 even came out, oh, it's so obvious that he should just have been captain of the ship from the very beginning. Yeah. We finally get that, although they haven't ordained him properly as captain. No, he's acting captain. He is captain, and what do you think about Captain Saru in this episode? I think his decisions make sense. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> Hold the presses. Something making sense? I know, right? Um, Because it makes sense that he's just like, okay, we're going to approach it in this way because he's very true to his Starfleet ideals and he follows Mm. through on them. He says them, but he also enacts them. Yeah. He's trying to live up to the ideals. Yeah. You know what I think makes him work as a captain in this episode uh, even though I, I it pains he me. Captains? No, it pains me, pains me to say it, but Giorgio, having her stand there and defy and counter his orders makes him strengthen his convictions as a captain, and thus he has convictions yeah. as a captain. While in season one, when he tried, the whole thing was he was failing because he didn't have strong, strong enough convictions, and the ones he had weren't of his own. But he was trying to replicate Lorca's. But in this, he, he didn't has... trust himself in command. He didn't trust that yeah. a Kelpian could be a good commander. But a large part of also that shift is not only that Giorgio is there to foil him, mm. but he's lost his threat senses. Yeah. So. Although I hate Giorgio, she actually serves a narrative purpose outside of just zingers in this episode, and it strengthens Saru's journey in this story. And well, she gives Linus a love interest, right? Yeah, yeah, Linus, <laughs> that great character. What a great character! Can we all give it up for Linus? <laughs> great character. Golf clap, clap, clap. He definitely clap. does more than sneeze. Yeah, he, he in this season he gets to transport places. It's real fun. Uh. I love Captain Saru. I think it's because of the obvious. He's now now that Pike is gone, he's the only Star Trek character we have left in the crew. And we like Doug Jones. And we like Star Trek. He's the only character that feels like from any other Star Trek show. He's a very Data-esque character with a bit of the Doctor and a bit of, uh, you know, T'Pol and a bit of Spock. He's like, he's the... He's the Star He's Trek. He's Harry Cam made commander. Yeah. Um, what do you think of seeing captaining Saru um, 
um, Pat, because when you saw him last in season one, he was trying to be and he was failing and he was insecure and we had Lorca all over the place. How does it feel to actually see him captaining the ship? And do you agree with the sentiment that he should have just been the captain from the very fucking beginning? Um, yeah, I definitely got the, cause yeah, my last impression of him was more that he was like looking up commanding for dummies and from the computer. Uh, and then we get this one where he's like, okay, you're going to do this. You're going to do this. I'm going to go on a way mission. So that, that's his like Kirk thing where he's in charge, but he's going to abandon ship to go on the mission. But, yeah. uh, but, uh, yeah, I actually really enjoyed him being in charge. I thought it was really good. And then after he kind of left discovery and it was this weird thing where like, nobody was in charge again or at least they were pretending they were in charge and not doing it because space hitler georgia well, like ran off we anyways. can't give non-screen time to be in charge because he left her in charge and when we do it's just to let us know she's sassy too <laughs> like that's her character yeah but she apologizes yeah, for sassy being hat. sassy in this yeah yeah she did her, her little sorry um, but I, I also appreciated that in this episode, um, Saru stands on his own because he does go back to asking the computer for help. Oh, in a later episode? In a later episode, which is when we uh, get that the sphere data has essentially become sentient and then that, uh, that, that not, doesn't actually can get we, dealt Can with. we be like Star Trek Discovery in season three and not talk about the sphere data? Because okay. it's like the most annoying thing. But I love Captain Saru. Um, I think it is just because Doug Jones is great. The character is the closest Star Trek-y type character we have. And it's nice to see a new captain. Like someone who's new in the chair. And figuring out what is and isn't the way. And you know that kind of ties back to Enterprise where... Archer was still figuring out what is captaining. Especially in season one where he's like, oh, diplomacy? Ugh, I don't know how to do that. I don't give a shit about that. And it's, I'm not a diplomat. Well, when I always got the feeling with Archer that it was more of a of a burden in a weird way to be captain because he's like, oh, I don't know how to do this, but I'll figure it out. While Saru, it's like he's very he's very eager, but he's got dissenting opinions from people like Giorgio, and it just strengthens his convictions. Then when we have the bad guy. And he's negotiating with a bad guy, and he actually manages to broker a deal. And then George O comes in and ruins the whole entire fucking thing, of course. Um, it was nice to see that he can be a stern leader, but also it was really nice of him and Tilly. I like their conversations outside where he lets her start babbling. And I don't like Tilly's babbling, but I like that Saru admires her as a person genuinely. That's been something from day one. He respects that. Tilly is who she is and but also puts boundaries on it mm. because he does ask her to not show her fear Mm-mm. more than saying don't be afraid it's like yes it's okay to be afraid now but we need you to be strong because we need to go into this in this particular way yeah I mean uh, but then, to counter all that, he shoots darts from his head. So, <laughs> every time I want to get heady and deep, I can't help but think of the stupid thing that automatically counters it. Like, Giorgio was offering this nuanced counterpoint about from her Terran point of view, but then I'll think about how 
She was the woman who said AI sausage. Kind of like an AI sausage. Ew. How do you feel about the notion of season three is a show that is the show where you can just jump into it? And do you think if that is the case, it's a good thing or a bad thing that two whole seasons of this show don't matter? I 100% believe that someone could just start with season three of Discovery and not watch those first two. Um what does that mean? Yeah, that's a that's a bigger question than that. I'm like, that's mm. I, I'm not trying to be mean, but it's just like it just kind of says more about like you know the characters haven't developed that far from that that you didn't need to have those things. Mm. Uh, it's a bunch of characters who just react to things a lot. Um, again, I would say the exception to that is like a character like Saru. Mm. Uh, I was like, you'd be like, oh, what was this guy's backstory? You know, and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I think I felt better watching these episodes not having watched season two because they're in the future it's you know a loss in space story except it's loss in space and time now but yeah um yeah but like in 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 tv and in modern television right we're not just presenting you episodes we're presenting you eight to 10 to 15 hour movies and each season feeds into the next season and you need to care about the characters developments and then you have this come along and and it's it's not saying directly but inadvertently those first two seasons don't matter really you can just start here and you'll be fine isn't that kind of kind of weird in the modern landscape of how television shows work because back in the day you can start at any season of these type of shows. Like, you could come into season three of Next Gen and not having watched the first two because it was episodic. And also, each season they were trying to f- figure out what the show was with TNG and Voyager and so on. But in modern TV, we kind of expect, well, they could sh- they should kind of know definitely by season three. Um, what do you think, Pat? Do you think it's just kind of like a weird thing to have this type of thing going on where two whole seasons of a show just don't matter and you can just skip them or what? Yeah. It's, it's not the way things are done now in the quote unquote golden age of TV. Mm. Um, so yeah, it is, it is odd. Um, I do like that in the sense of, uh, season three of next gen. That's when it got good, you know, mm. quote unquote got good. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know anything more than that. I guess I just, yeah, it's, it, it, it's odd, but it works. I guess, I guess it's just to me. I stretched, out the, I stretched out the word work as much as possible. I, I guess it's just so damning to me that, you know, you have two whole seasons, like 30 something episodes in a modern television show in which the budget of each episode could fund like a nation in Africa. And none of it, you can just go, oh, those don't matter. Those are terrible. You can just skip those. It's kind of, it's very weird to me in the modern landscape where you, they, they make an emphasis on every episode matters and each episode builds upon the next. And then a couple years later, they come around and, and they come around and be like, oh no, they don't. You can just, you can just start here. It just feels like a weird betrayal. And one of the things I want to ask you, Rachel and you, Pat, is Having now watched that first episode of season three, do you think that this episode would have been a better start to the season than that one? Absolutely. Yeah, you could, if you had switched them, maybe that would have been really cool. The, the reveal of Michael at the end, like how, how much more interested would you be to watch that first episode if you wanted to find out how Michael got there a year ago? Yeah. I mean, 
Yeah. I, I, because I, I thought this at the time. I'm like, this episode is a far better introduction to the season. Like, sure, you would have to tweak one or two things here and there, like mention the burn or the death of the Federation if you want to, because that first episode does, and this episode kind of plays on us, the audience, already knowing that. But that simple tweaking of like lines of dialogue, I also wonder. There's another thought in my head of would this have been better as the third episode? And I say that because we get the first episode, and then we get this one, and Michael has experienced a whole year, which I think is too short of a time for her to be separated, because the rest of the season is her struggling with, should I be a Starfleet officer again? Because I've now experienced a, a whole lifetime, and I've got a new boyfriend and all of that, and I'm now a bounty well, hunter. And it's like they're not actually together. But they're yet. not actually together. But it's like... A year seems like a really short period of time to feel that. Maybe five years would have been much better for that. Yeah, but when we left that last episode with her being like, it could be a year or it could be a thousand years before Discovery shows up and one year is like the minimum amount. Yeah. As opposed to like a time to live. And in and I say episode three because I think that there should have been a second episode that doesn't exist in this season of seeing this if we're sticking with the year, let's stick with the year. The year of her life away from Discovery, seeing her blossom her relationship with Book, and seeing her accept that Starfleet is dead, and maybe that she has to adapt to this new world, so that when they do come back in this episode, it does affect her in a way that the audience can understand, outside of her just saying it affects her. We actually or, see or the life like she lived. The evolution of her investigating the burn because that Mm. gets referred to fairly frequently in the back end of the season of like I was doing this and I'm looking for these things and we're gonna go find this because I did this in the year that you weren't here and along the way of trying to discover the burn her hope and and all of that for the discovery coming back faded away because she was actually actively living a new life with someone that she cares about. And it could go back to what she said to Spock of find people who are unlike you. And reach out. And so then maybe at the end of this glorious episode that doesn't exist, she gets the call, oh no, discovery's been found, oh, dis- like a signal and it's just to go get it and then that way we can but again this is all could haves um any uh rachel any other negatives you want to bring up in this episode because there's a plethora we've been actually pretty nice pat how do you feel being a long-time listener of the pod that you've been brought on for an episode in which we're being very positive is it a weird experience for you <laughs> it's so weird uh, it, it, I guess it makes me uh, feel okay about it because I watched the first episode. Yeah, uh, going into it, um, but yeah, I didn't. Uh, I didn't expect to have as much nice things to say about it. Um, I think I'm looking at this show still as, le- uh, you know, it's sci-fi fantasy less than Star Trek. Yeah, but that's just because it's doing its own thing. So I have to accept it on those terms. It's maybe not. It's not my daddy's Star Trek, but it may might be my Star Trek, but eh, I guess it's still Star oh, Trek. Oh, there are a few lines that stood out. Yeah, there's many great zingers in this episode, huh? Um, one that is not is Giorgio's line. This is like reading an obituary backwards. 
I didn't even remember that line happened. Oh yeah, that was a weird one. I think my my least favorite line, and it just sums up that the writers don't know how to express Giorgio as a character, so they need to no no of um, Tignataro as a character. Sorry, see I I got it mixed up. See all these characters are the same. Tignataro um, says as Tignataro, well I'll just follow you for the witty repartee, and it's like okay, we get it. You lampshade things a lot in Star Trek Discovery, like like with Giorgio pointing out that the bad guy has a fancy thesaurus. Just because but you lampshade geez. it doesn't mean that you're not not doing it. Just Ryan. saying, well, just saying, Jet Reno, all she does is stand there and make wisecracks. She doesn't. She says some emotional, poignant lines. Like, <sighs> helpless is a shitty feeling, but it's not forever. And it doesn't make you any less capable. I want to ask Pat about that <laughs> moment. We are so engraced and entrenched in Star Trek Discovery, so when moments like that happen, we kind of take it for granted and sometimes question, does this just feel like the comedy character has been, has been turned on to maudlin and they now have to give the fortune cookie advice, or does this feel natural? What do you think about that, Pat? Do you think that like a moment like that where Jet Reno's going from one moment wisecracking to wise sage advice, does it feel real or natural, or does it just kind of feel like flipped on and off? Because we've had comedy characters in other Star Trek shows do that, so what do you think? I think again. I, I'm 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 trying to be nice. Um, that, um, that every every time Tignataro is like on on the show, I'm like I'm like she's just like walked on the set and they had the camera turned on. It, it feels like that. Um, she's just and, riffing and again. She's she's a funny person, but it's just like I don't see like it. It does feel like it takes me out of the scene more than anything else. But then Tilly um, gives us some wise wisdom. <sighs> Tilly's like a fortune cookie as well, isn't she? What was the what, what was Tilly's wisdom? Can't bake a peach pie with a gazpacho recipe, right? Yeah, that was her grandma's advice. Something my grandma yeah, was, yeah, used grandmother. to say. What I like about yeah. that is there was a great little moment there where the the alien guy looked at her confused because to him it's like, what is gazpacho? What is this? But I do love. This is so stupid because TV does this. They play him for the alien he is in that one moment. But as soon as she says grandma, he smiles with recognition of like, I have a grandma too. And she says stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're the same. Uh, and then yeah. She just awkwardly says that like, because he's doing the program, pro- programmable matter. And she's just like, oh, you're really adept at that. Yeah, she's letting us know that she doesn't know what this is. I'm like, I don't know either, bro. But- oh, that was a quiz. Oh, that was a little quiz, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I, I mean, when she said, "Oh, you're really adept at that," I, I, I found it fifty percent her having like wonder at this technology, but also like, she's just trying to be nice, I guess, because she's yeah, and it's you know. just awkwardly phrased, just just enough of a sprinkle of awkward. Because when do you ever say, "Oh, you're adept at that"? Um, well, after sex. I learned so many new things. We shouldn't charge you. But we have to charge you. Perhaps if you teach me something new, it will be fair trade. I want to give everyone a fun trivia fact I learned from this episode. 
George O's an engineer. I didn't fucking know that until they said it in this episode. I've been watching and reviewing every single episode for the last six months. I did not know at any point that George O, Empress George O, she is, is an everything. engineer. She's everything, She's everything, Ryan. When Tilly came she out with that, I is. fucking died. I was like, <laughs> when did they ever demonstrate? Because Nan was also an engineer, and they never got her to do anything. Everyone's no, an engineer. But then that's Far what out. they... They were both doing engineering stuff at the end of the last season. They're the ones that are in there and the panels pulling things apart, rewiring things. That's all engineering things, so they showed us. Oh, because they fitted with some wires, that means that we should know that they've been engineers the whole time. They know how to open an access panel and look at some wiring. I I didn't think that a warrior queen emperor from a mirror universe that she had like a bachelor's degree in engineering <laughs> like i didn't think about oh, it oh you know she has a doctorate ryan actually a doctor George. yeah but it's honorific yeah <laughs> like give me my doctorate or i kill you and all your family yeah and i'll wear your 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 tongue as a belt yeah there was just so many moments my biggest negative in this episode My biggest negative is you have this A-B story, right, where Paul is trying to fix something. He's trying to fix the ship. They're trying to get the ship out of the ice. Then you have Saru is trying to deal with the situation in the saloon. What happens in both stories is both stories are fully in control by the characters in the story. And then, no, they're not, because another character comes in at the end and solves the situation. George O comes in to the bar and solves the situation in a story that she was not involved in the whole episode. Then at the end of the ship story, they're stuck in the ice, and Michael comes in at the end and solves the story. And I just don't find that satisfying. I was enjoying that our actual characters that we were actually following the whole episode were solving and encountering the situations themselves, not some deus ex machina coming in and doing it for them. I just don't find that satisfying. That's like my biggest flaw in this episode is the end of both stories are solved by people who had nothing to do with either story. Like, I guess I, I'm, I'm curious if you guys, if Georgiou hadn't, sorry, if Space Hitler hadn't shown up, um, would it, would his negotiation have worked? Like, I was trying to figure that out. He, like, Tilly's going to go back to the ship to get the Dilithium to come back. Mm. And then it was kind of implied later than when they were going to send the bad guy out. He's like, you were going to send her, to, you know, did you think she was going to survive? And like, was that a good plan? Like, did Georgia have to show up? You know, was his negotiation actually a legitimate way to solve the problem? Did we just like undo that work that we were committing to? So yeah, I, I get the whole deus ex mm. uh, twist thing at the end that kind of, took away from that but i don't i'm curious if you guys thought it was actually going to work i don't think it would have actually worked no, and i don't think they were indicating that it wasn't going to i think it was just biding he would, time he was just like somebody pointed out well like you were about to send tilly out to yeah, her the bartender. death so that implied to me that it was like it was never going to work so he was just essentially threatening tilly but in a way that it made it vague and kind of confusing to me because it's just like, well, he does want the dilithium mm. and he has to send somebody to go get it because he's not going to go, hey, here's my personal transporter. You go get yeah. it and pop back. I I get that that's a thing. Like, I don't think his plan would have worked. The negotiations were a ruse. 
blah, blah, blah. But what I, even if that's the case, what I would have liked is if Saru, Tilly, and the bartender managed to solve the situation themselves because they were actively in it. Not, oh, we've brought in the killing, like, basically, they brought in the device to end the plot from outside. And that is just not satisfying. Even if Saru's negotiations failed, I would have liked to have seen him use his command skills to figure out with the two other people in the room how to solve the situation rather than Ryan. some random person comes in and says, I'm the writer and I'm and I'm just going to quickly end this scene. Oh, that would involve him demonstrating who he is. Which he was having, doing. Having learned something from yeah. the experience and then it would have to matter later. And he was doing that throughout the episode, but then they have to bring Giorgio in to do quips and do the fighting because Michelle Yeoh does fighting and we need to shoot her with the laser and she gets turned on by it and it's yeah I was gonna ask about that it was like her plan was just to get shot what a genius huh she was an emperor yeah oh big big brain big brain like it's like what happened if he had just set it to the same setting as the other guy I mean, I would have been happy, but like, would the showrunners have been happy? Yeah. Like, I don't know. It's and then Michael comes in at the end, and that's there to show us, oh, Michael's here, and oh, time has passed. But I still, it, they could have got out of the ice, and then she could have shown up and be like, "I, I saw you guys." Like, they could have got themselves out. Of the or ice. you don't have her in this episode, and she turns up in the next episode. Like, you still don't need Michael in this. Also. <laughs> Maybe this is us because we've been watching the show and we've never enjoyed Michael as a character, but was it was a part of the enjoyment of this episode because Michael wasn't in it? Yes. <laughs> you I'm say sorry. with such shame in your voice. Yes. I, I, well, because, like, I, like Sonequa Martin, Martin Green, like, I watched her on The Walking Dead and I really liked her there. So, like, I can see her as, like, full-blooded character acting. It's great. Mm. But, it like, Michael Burnham isn't really character to me. Like, she's just kind of, like, she's the most important because they say she's the most important. But mm. I never, like, I was convinced Saru was the most important because he was leading the charge. Or I was convinced Damitz was the most important because he was working on the repairs and like you know sacrificing his health his safety for it you know like yeah but i I never feel like she has any consequences to uh like her risk taking necessarily it's always going to work out Um, Mm, mm. she was never going to die on that planet or any other yeah her vulnerabilities are hard to sympathize with because they either non-existent she's perfect hero or her vulnerabilities are like so beyond recognizable for us mere mortals like if i don't make connections with my brother spock and decipher the code in his brain that's scrambled up because he has dyslexia then control an ai from the future will kill my mother in turn killing the entire universe i'm like i don't i can't relate to that you know, like it's it's so hard, and that's why in this episode, I could relate to Saru failing at communicating with someone who refuses to be like budged on that. That's like, yeah, you have the sci-fi aesthetic of like he's an evil cowboy who's going to shoot you, yeah. But the basic thing of Saru is trying to get through to someone who doesn't want it. I can understand that. Simple. Michael Burnham is like either her ones are so non-existent. Or it's like the like fucking 
Greek tragedy level of like insanity that I just find hard to connect with. And in an episode where she wasn't around and you just had every other character doing things that were relatable, I was like, oh my god, if this was every episode of the show, I think I would like this show a lot more. Yeah, it's me. I found you. I've been looking for so long. One of the things that is disappointing on a rewatch is I was just talking about this this hopelessness that was the first two seasons feel like there's no point that they were like you could skip them. One of the downsides on a rewatch is we love Captain Saru, but we know by the end of the season, and we actually knew yeah, relatively fated. quickly that he was set up to fail and step aside so Michael could take charge, and that was such a bitter pill to swallow in this episode because. All I kept thinking when watching this episode was, fuck, if this was the show, this would be so much more tolerable and enjoyable. But now I know they design him on purpose to fail and that all of Michael's reckless, nonsensical actions are deemed as the good actions. And Saru's whole character is, can I overcome my self-esteem issues and my lack of confidence. Can I overcome that? And the way to overcome that is, can I be a commander? Can I be a leader? And at the end of his journey, it is, no, you can't. No, you can't. You fail. Step aside for someone who can do it. And I don't know what that says. Yeah, it's also because he he says that his priorities shift. It's it's, it's not... They do try and patch it with a few different things but none of them fully stick for us to bring up voyager for a brief moment one of my favorite things about voyager was reg barkley and how we had seen he had evolved in a way that made sense he had gained more confidence in himself while still being the reg we knew and then in the series finale we saw a future version of the future in which he was far more confident in himself but he was still reg like every now and then he would have his stammer you know he would stammer his words and get nervous but it was like oh it's good to know that even someone like reg barkley can find confidence in themselves in the structure that is starfleet and i thought that's a great message and they're doing it with saru but at the end of the season they say no 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 your insecurities they will they will make you fail and there's no point. Three seasons worth of growth gets thrown out the window so that Michael can be the captain. Well, they already threw out the first two seasons. With his evolution. So, so it's just like it's the minus two and then the minus one. So it does make minus three, but it doesn't feel as bad in the moment. But maybe on the rewatch, it'll sting more. And it did. Yeah, my- Imagine if Reginald Barkley had invented the ability for Tribbles to procreate super fast. Like, gosh, he wouldn't, he wouldn't last. It. Oh, let me tell you about a short trek called Trouble with Edward. <laughs> Talking about things that are weird on a rewatch and first time watching, I imagine, for you, Pat. Let's do the Hugh-dar. Hugh was in this episode. He had a lot of lines of dialogue. I'm not, I was about to say stuff to do, but that's not true. Um, but he did smile and nod. Pat, what has been your relationship and feelings on the character of Hugh Colber before you started listening to our podcast in which we have a whole segment dedicated to trying to really reinforce that he's never been a character? Um, yeah, I mean, again, my experience was mostly season one where he was, you know, his character trait and I think his memory alpha entry is 
you know, she's Stamets' uh, uh, husband, partner. Partner. Uh, and I guess that's about it. I did like him in this. Um, I, I was mm. like, oh, you know, like they show him caring, but then as, as soon as uh, Tignataro was like his therapist, yeah, I, I didn't want him in that scene. Because <laughs> uh, I was like, okay, like who's the, who's the counselor here? I know you guys have spoken about like he should have been just a counselor and he kind of becomes one. Yeah. Um, you see him count, trying to be the counselor in this episode a lot as well, and it, yeah. it really reinforces, yeah. man, they try to give him doctor things to do in this, but they're not focusing on it. What they are focusing on is him being the wise person who's trying to touch into the person's mental state and letting them know, hey, it's okay to admit failure, it's okay to be afraid, it's okay not to be okay. And it's like, man, he should have been this from the very beginning. But instead... You know, as soon as... As soon as they make him a counselor, Guinan's going to show up and she's like 2,000 years old and she's going to be a better counselor than he is a counselor. Guinan, people come to talk to you about things they want to reveal. As ship's counselor, you have to get them to talk about things they don't want to reveal. I could do that too. What are you... (laughs) You don't really want to be ship's counselor would make you say that so you liked him well enough like like in this episode well, yeah whenever he's first caring for uh, oh so in general i i i found him okay I, I considered him a background character uh and i didn't have any urge to have him come to the forefront um but in again in his scene where he cares for for stamets i don't know i think doctor characters in star trek Generally speaking, when they're being doctors, that's fine. But Mm. then they can just leave the room and I'm over them. So you're not a fan of Doctor characters. See me? I love the Doctor characters primarily in Star Trek. okay. When they're not... Yeah, I guess I I spoke a lot. Because I do like Doctor characters. I just... I'm imagining the badly written ones. I I think of, like... Beverly Crusher doesn't have that many good episodes. But um, she serves Lasky a purpose is, in. She serves a purpose, and I think that's why where I want to put him in. Mm. I want him make him to be just. He's a doctor. I don't even think he's the. the is he even the chief medical no, officer? No. I think he's just amongst the doctors. Right? Yeah, amongst them. The because... doctor that treats Detmer in this episode is the chief. I don't think she oh, is. Oh yes, Isn't okay, she? yeah, her. No, yeah. I think the whole thing is in Star Trek Discovery. We've never met the chief engineer. We've never met the chief. Um, medical officer. Head. No, I think she's just a doctor who's okay. there. Yeah, they're all like just doctors. Who's not like the chief of medicine, I guess. Yeah, and it's very weird. Yeah, I, I but- liked Hugh in this episode because they injected him with personality. Wilson Cruz was given a lot of energy to do, but it did yeah. feel like having just come off season two and rewatching season three. It felt like they were compensating, overcompensating a lot by being like, and look, he's sassy. He's very, very sassy. And he's saying all these things and he's smiling. And he's got jokes and he's, and he's wisecracking here. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Last time I saw him, he was like very emotionally in turmoil over the fact that he wanted to get back with Paul. But now he's back to being the funny. Now he's the funny guy. And it was a little bit confronting. But I was like, thank Christ, we've got some energy to him. And I, I agree. I, I liked his scenes with Paul, um, although I'm not a huge I fan of Paul anymore, really I thought sweet. it was nice. I thought it was really sweet when he was just like, "Oh, it's good to have you back," and he's like, "It's good to have you alive." That felt 
looked very natural and it felt like it made a lot of sense for those characters to be saying it and to be saying that at that moment. Yeah, just my disconnect for him in this episode and the season is this doesn't feel like a guy who's just gotten over an existential crisis. Oh, no. No. He, no. he just feels no. like a guy. I mean, again, <laughs> I think I think th- that is one of the moments where I'm like, yeah, I don't need to watch season one and two. He's just like... I almost got reintroduced. Like, yeah, they're together. Okay, cool. Moving on. <laughs> he died. <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah, I remember him dying, and I know how he comes but back. It's but it's funny to like... think that in that scene. Oh, this guy died once, by the way. Like, isn't that weird? Like, they. Yeah, it makes it more poignant that he says it's good to have you alive because uh, he died. He had died. What a tragedy. I say that to people all the time. I don't know you guys, but I'm just. You know, you get off the bus and you're like, glad you're alive. And then you just keep walking. <laughs> uh, so, Rachel, what would you give this episode? A yum or a yum yum? It's a relatively enthusiastic yum yum. Yum yum. I give this a yum yum. Yum yum. I'm happy to say that. You know, I'm very happy to say that. And it's so weird to me that Enterprise is a show that I've never really enjoyed, but it was kind of weird to be like, huh, the, one of the episodes I've enjoyed the most of Discovery is the one that harkens back to a show that I've never liked that much. It's, it's kind of a weird state to be in. Where it's like, this is probably my second favorite one. I think this one tops New Eden for me because I feel like it fulfills more of what it's promising than yeah. New Eden kind of did. When New Eden had a lot of things that made me think, but not a lot of experience in that episode. Well, this one, I felt like I experienced and thought about a lot of stuff. Although I'm still dissatisfied with the conclusion of both stories, I enjoyed the journey along the way. And if season three was more of this, I could definitely see the argument that this is the best season. It didn't have the moments that New Eden did Mm. where we were just like, why the fuck is this here? This makes no sense. Like, we didn't have the line of, like, Michael doesn't know what a church is? Yeah, we didn't have a moment like that. The xenoanthropologist doesn't understand a church. A xenoanthropologist who was raised in a very spiritual family... Doesn't know what a church is. Okay, sure, 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 sure. Righty-ho. Moving on. Pat, yum or yum yum? Um, can I say, uh, I'll say yum yum, but I hiccup in the middle like, yum yum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I've had, I've drank too much of this Star Trek Discovery Kool-Aid and it's, it's in my system now and I don't know how to recover. Yum yum. So do you think that you would actually want to try to revisit Star Trek Discovery? I think I think I might have to, and I, I have enough people in my life who know how I feel. But after season one, what it what I felt like, they're gonna be like, "What happened?" But not from not from the first episode, but from this episode, episode two, I was like, "That that felt that felt okay." I think I I think I had a, a good enough time. A good enough time. Well, yeah. I'm gonna tell. All of us now, what the good enough time hopefully we'll be having next uh, week on Star Trek Discovery. So, episode three is People of Earth. So, according to IMDb, the plot of this is finally reunited. Burnham and the USS Discovery crew journey to Earth, eager to learn what happened to the Federation in their absence. Yep. That's an episode in which we get to introduce to some new characters that will be a part of the crew. Uh, I recollect somewhat enjoying this one. And again, 
I will say there was a little story element in this episode, in episode three, that felt very enterprisey to me, where it's just like, these raiders are stealing our dilithium, and we don't know where they're from, and they're wearing hoods. I'm like, this feels like an Enterprise episode, where at the end of it they would reveal, oh, it's actually those nefarious Andorians again. And it was like, yeah. <laughs> like, um, so, yeah, Rachel, uh, you know, we had a negative experience with episode one, but we're having a positive one with episode two. Hopefully, there'll be some more positives on this uh, rewatch. Uh, hopefully. Or will we get the every even episode number? Like, episode is the good one and the odd ones, like the movies are the bad ones. Like, will next week be bad and then the one after will be good? Will it be that type of affair? Who knows? I'm uncomfortable saying the word good in association with Star Trek. How about Yum Yum? Yes. <laughs> Feel better about it now? Yes. Yum yum acceptable. So, Rachel, where can people find us on the interweb? Finally enough, a yum yum pod. Um, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and over on Reddit. Yep, we're always posting things on there, furthering discussions, posting some jokes and memes, and yeah, trying to just engage in general uh, conversations with people about these episodes, because obviously there are people with many opinions. You can email us at yumyumpod at gmail.com to let us know your own thoughts, questions, queries, and concerns. And we have a Patreon, Rachel. What is over on there? Various extra materials where we talk about Star Trek even more. And sometimes we actually like it. And sometimes we talk about non-Star Trek things. Yeah, a little while ago we had an episode where we give our thoughts on Red Dwarf. We have one where we give our thoughts on The Good Place. So not all sci-fi, although sci-fi leaning is where we do tend to go in our, our thoughts on conversations on there. But yes, Patreon, all the info is in the description of this episode. So hit all those, rate and review us on whatever podcasting platform you use that allow it is always greatly appreciated uh pat thank you so much for coming on i actually had to uh wrangle pat in he was a little bit you were a little bit unsure at first but i was like come on this one reminds me of enterprise and you said to me i don't know if that's a, <laughs> like if that's a compliment or an yeah, insult i can i can never decide if you're if you're like endorsing me or insulting me like it's like enterprise <laughs> you like that one <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but I'm glad that you, you 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 decided to join us on this journey. And hey, you know maybe you'll come back and visit the uh, the season, and uh, maybe you'll have your own kind of thoughts on it. Like that's the kind of thing where. We try not to just be haters on Star Trek Discovery. We try to have critical conversation. And even in the season that I, I, I personally don't like, season three, it's my least favorite. An episode like this is in my top three of Star Trek Discovery episodes. So it does show that there's some stuff here. And, he, and the fact that there's someone like you who pretty much stopped after season one can come back and see an episode of season three after a stinker of an episode of season three and be almost tempted to want to actually come back and watch it. Yeah, it kind of says that, you know, Star Trek Discovery, for all of its faults and flaws, it can every now and then course correct in a way where it kind of tempts one to want to keep watching. Rachel doesn't look as convinced of that. Rachel's like, I've been not wanting to watch this from season one. I wish I was Pat. (laughs) It punishes me when I am hopeful. Yeah, that. Don't you wish you had a time travel tunnel that you could go back? A red angel suit? 
Dare I say? Yeah, oh, a red angel suit. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, something less anime. Something. Yeah. Something. Yeah. Something. Oh my god. Oh, you don't want the mech suit. Oh man, I would love to watch the anime of Star Trek Discovery and see how they draw Saru. Give him. Oh, give yeah. him some tentacles to really add to the effects. Yeah, I was like, who's gonna say the tentacle joke? Me. Whose ganglia would get <laughs> yeah. long? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, Nani? Yeah, absolutely. The only yeah. way this episode could have gotten better to really emphasize it being an Enterprise one is if Saru took his top off and did a spin kick, just like Scott Bakula would have done oh, in Enterprise. Hey, they needed the petroleum jelly to disinfect first. Of course, I would have loved to have seen I can't, them rubbing jelly. I like that jelly. show, but I can't defend the jelly. No one can. <laughs> that's how we end this episode. No one can defend the jelly of Enterprise. Sign up for the Patreon. You get a Defend the Jelly t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs>